I heard a US Army officer say once, if you can't clearly articulate what leadership is, then how do you know you're doing it? We hear that all the time. Why would I train my people up if they're just going to move to another organization or another company? And it's like, well, train them up or not. If you don't train them up, they're going to move on as well because they're not engaged, they don't feel valued, and they can't see a clear path forward for them in the company. People don't respond well to, you need to, I'm telling you, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't really matter how good of a leader you are if everything's going well. It's when things go wrong that all eyes are on you and it's always going to be remembered from how you perform under pressure. There was one moment that really stood out. It was again in Afghanistan when I was a team leader and there was, we were in three armoured vehicles heading north. Hello and welcome to the Brian Moylet podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international rugby player turned high performance mindset coach. Each week on this podcast, I bring you an interesting person or message to help you discover how to be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player is available now on Amazon and Audible with links in the show notes. If you love this podcast, please send on some friends. You can subscribe on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify and can also leave five-star reviews there. Thanks, Emil, for spending some time with me today. Now let's get into it. I'm with Tony Groves, a former Army veteran, now leadership expert, and a few things in between. But um, yeah, Tony, give me a bit of your background, starting out in the Army and then up to what you're doing now. All right. Uh, so I joined the Australian Army at a really young age. I was 16 and a half when I, when I signed the dotted line. And I spent the next 11 years uh, initially as an infantry soldier, uh, where I was fortunate enough early on in the career, I got to deploy as a 21-year-old soldier over to East Timor. And not long after I got back, I got the opportunity to try out for the defence intelligence community. So I went down to what they call the Defence Intelligence Training Centre and uh, completed the course and got recommended as a battle group intelligence operator. So working in small battle groups of up to about, on average, about 150 soldiers. And after 11 years, I decided it was time to, to get out of the army, time for a change. And two weeks later, I was picked up by a by an American private military company. Uh, they were contracted to the US government and I did three deployments to Afghanistan with them and two deployments to Iraq over over five years. And how did that come about then? You just said like, you know, you're thinking of getting out and then that opportunity came up. Yeah, I was just, uh, I'd finished work in the army one day and I was just in town and by pure chance bumped into an old mate that used to be in, in uh, my platoon and hadn't seen him for a couple of years and I asked him what he's doing and he said he was a private contractor. So I told him I was looking at getting out and is there any opportunities over where you are? And he said, yeah, there is a couple of opportunities, not with us, but I'll give you the contact details for, for one of the recruiters and you can see how you go through that process. So that's what happened, just pure by chance. Right. Oh, and so private contractor, that's like, so you were kind of in the intelligence space somewhat still army based or well 
it's described often as private military, so we work on government contracts, but as a private organisation. So we perform many of the same functions that we did in the military, only this time for, for a company that's contracted to the government. And what during that was it when you started learning about leadership or was there like a moment where, I don't know, your perspectives changed in leadership? Well, I got a lot out of the Army on its own initially from when I was in the Australian Army. I, I learned a lot of lessons there, especially about the actual how to develop lessons and so forth. But where I really learned about the leadership was as, as a private contractor and we're working in multinational forces. So on my team, my initial team, there was about 24 of us and eight different nationalities. And we really got to see the best of each nationality, each, each um, from, from, from their different armies and, and their different backgrounds, we got to see the best of all of those different countries. So there was a couple that really stood out. One of them was this guy. He was a really typical looking, U.S. soldier, big guy, full of muscles and tattoos. Uh, he looked exactly what you'd expect on, on TV. However, what was different about him was he really cared about his people, like more so than, than I'd encountered even in the, in, in the defense in the past. And he would go out of his way to make sure that everything was okay, that your family was okay, and was there anything that he could do to help out? So initially with him... He really showed me a different type of leadership, really opened my eyes to not so much that traditional military style, but more of a human style of leadership. So, yeah, that's really where my eyes got opened in my first first deployment to Afghanistan, and it was with that particular particular person. And did you do much leadership development within the Army? Uh, in the Army... Not as a, I wasn't a leader in, in, when I was in the army. We did plenty of leadership training in the army. So all soldiers are taught that you always train two levels up all the time. From when you're first week as a private in a battalion, let's say if you're in an infantry battalion, you're learning the job two ranks up right from the start. So we got plenty of that, but I didn't really step up and lead. And that was intentional. There's actually a story behind that. But it was when I... When I went overseas as a contractor, that's when I stepped into those leadership roles. And it was really good. They provide a lot of training over there, constant training, constant exposure to different styles of leadership. And and a lot of it was the latest training that was coming out of the institutes at the time from back state side. And yeah, that was really where I got my experience leading. And what was it like then... Um you, you mentioned before when we were chatting about it, like on the battlefield and putting some of that learnings into, I suppose, into player interaction when it needed to be done. Yeah, there's a, there's there was one moment that really stood out. It was again in Afghanistan when I was a team leader and there was, we were in three armoured vehicles heading north and we got a tip off that the Taliban were moving into an ambush position 300 metres to our front. And at that time, I'd spent almost five years in the Middle East. I'd been through all sorts of different incidents. And I remember the first three things happened when, we, when I heard that over the radio, because 300 metres were already in range. We knew that there was up to 40 Taliban operating in that particular group in, in the area that we were operating. So we were 
pretty much outnumbered 12, 12 of us to 40 of them or up to 40 of them. And I remember when I got that, that message, I felt a shot of adrenaline. My heart rate started to increase and I could feel my mind going into overdrive. And I knew uh, what was going to come next. One thing the military were really good at was teaching us how to remain calm under pressure. So one thing that that was really effective for us was it doesn't matter how much you know or how much experience you've got or how much time on the tools you've got. The one thing that was really important that came to light on, on that day was as a leader, my ability to recall the information I needed when I needed it. And under pressure, that can be quite challenging. So what the military do well is they keep things really short. It might be like a simple acronym or a three or four steps. Uh, so you can focus your thoughts, your attention, and your actions in the right place at the right time. It doesn't really matter how good of a leader you are if everything's going well. It's when things go wrong that all eyes are on you. And it's always going to be remembered from how you perform under pressure. So that particular day when we got that tip off that we were potentially driving into an ambush, it was a real eye-opener for me in especially for setting up halo training for our the the only thing that really matters is that we can focus our thoughts our attention and our actions in the right place at the right time so it was a great proving ground that day and so what helped you do that focus your thoughts actions so there's a couple of different things that that we do the first one is immediately how we respond and it's usually just pause take a breath so try and clear your thoughts and look, take a step back and look at the bigger picture. That's the basically the immediate action drill. And what that does is it prevents us from rushing in without giving it the thought that it's required. So just taking that pause for a moment, taking a breath, clearing your thoughts, and then taking that step back, not getting what we would call target fixation, where you're focused on just that problem or just what's happening in front of you. But when you take that step back, you see that broader perspective, you, you're stepping away from that tunnel vision. So that was the first thing, because we know that if we've got, if our mind's going 100 miles an hour, then it's likely that my, my, my thoughts are clouded. And if my thoughts are clouded, it's likely to have a negative impact on my ability to make decisions, good decisions. And if I'm not going to make good decisions, then it's going to affect my ability to form sound judgment. So it's rather than just rushing in, having simple tools that we can use and intervene before that pressure hijacks us and takes over. So that was something that we really took away. Yeah, and that's the exact same in sport. Like when you're talking there, I'm thinking of so many analogies in sport. And, you know, rugby one that came to mind was a kick chase someone just sprinting as hard as they can and not really thinking but then they get stepped whereas you just need to take that moment to just breathe um and it's the same in yeah so many scenarios that it's it's not about being in fifth gear being full steam ahead at all times it's actually at times yeah just taking a breath taking a moment so that you get more clarity yeah and then once you get past that point then you can work through that problem and it's about Something that I learned firsthand, again, if I reflect back on that day, was acknowledging the situation for what it was. It was not ideal. I did not, I did not want to be there when we when we got that news. But there was nothing I could do to change that. This this was happening, and again, there was nothing I could do to change what was happening. That was the situation. So our ability to acknowledge and accept 
the situation in the moment is really important. And then from there, we're moving on to the, to the next phase is you just focus on what do I need to do now to work towards a more favorable outcome? Because if we don't focus on that second step, we can go down that rabbit hole of negativity, play the blame game, let our emotions take over where we're at risk of freezing and not making a decision in the first place. So when we know look, this is the situation, just acknowledge and accept that this is it and there's nothing I can do about it and instead focus now on the next step, which is what do I need to do to work towards that more favorable outcome? And that was really helpful in those moments. Just that, that clear step from point A to point B rather than just trying to f- drive by on Braille and feel your way through, through the adversity. Yeah, and yeah. the acknowledge and accept, yeah. that's huge. Yeah, it really is. I re- what I really took away from that was acknowledging the negativity of that moment, like this, this is not great whatever colorful language you want to use but just letting that out right from the start helps you move on so it's just a really simple thing so probably not the right language in this setting here but you can use whatever language you want yeah (laughs) this is a bit of a shit sandwich and there's nothing i can do to change the situation this is what i've got so what do i need to do right now to work towards that more favorable outcome I mean, yeah, and then when you're looking for that fix moving forward, you're not focusing on the negativity. You're not falling prey to being overwhelmed by the situation. You're just focusing on what you need to do now to work towards that more favorable outcome. And and that language is really specific. It's not success because the situation's changed now and what we initially set out to achieve might not be realistic or achievable Mm -hmm. anymore. So it's a more favorable outcome. So it's not good right now. What can we do to make this more favorable? And that was just a, a massive help for me over there. Yeah, and uh, once again, like the accept and uh, accept yep. the situation. And I think from the outside looking in, that army is good in it in like no ego. And you yep. know, you're not looking to blame people. You're not looking to get frustrated, or there's not scope within that framework to do that. Yeah, it's it's pretty challenging in those moments because, say, if you're driving into an ambush nobody wants to be there. there's definitely emotions involved a couple of things that the military and the private military do very well is is they prepare their leaders before they move into those positions of responsibility and on the most part i can't speak for everybody but for the organizations that i was a part of their leaders were selected on the most part based on their character not the technical skills the technical skills are simply an expectation we expect you to have those to be even considered. What's going to get you across the line for the promotion is your character, your your uh, moral and ethical qualities is what they look for. So that was a really big part of it. So when you go back to those those moments, and we're talking about the team accepting the situation for what it is, it's when you've got leaders that maintain that cool, calm and composed approach to it and they don't drop their bundle and flap under pressure it, it, it instills and inspires trust in your team and a part of just accepting that helps you, you as an as a leader just accept it, it's not great but i can't change that and it just helps you move through it otherwise you could get stuck there right so yeah that was just a really big part of it for us was acknowledging that it's not great it's not ideal there's not little to nothing we can do to change what's happened because it's happened or happening in the moment. So let's just focus our, again our thoughts, our attention, our actions 
on what we can do now to work towards that more favorable outcome yeah and correct me if i'm wrong but there seems to be never a benefit to getting stressed and getting you know like i see it in once again bringing it back to sport or you can talk about business or you can talk about whatever you want but you see when something isn't going well leaders then losing the rag and but i don't see any benefit to ever doing that yeah there's not in fact there's nothing more detrimental for than a leader losing their cool losing their temper letting their emotions hijack them in the moment because everybody's watching them and if if you look at it from a from a team member perspective if the team leader starts flapping under pressure then what are they communicating to their team hey i'm completely out of control i'm not going to make good decisions here my judgment's completely clouded but you're going to follow my instructions that's not going to work they're not going to do that so yeah it's it's really important to maintain that composure yeah and i love what you say there about the army training people two levels up yeah it starts again from as soon as you if i look at it from an infantry perspective as soon as you march into your unit after your basic training and then your your uh, initial employment training then you start learning to lead two ranks up and that's it usually I can only speak for when I was in, but just to get one stripe, a lance corporal would typically be between three to five years for one stripe and and anywhere from five to six years for two stripes. So you're learning well in advance how to lead the section years before you step up. We see a lot of challenge sometimes in sport, definitely in business where people don't like to do that because then the people they're training up they might view them as a threat to their position. So it's really unfortunate in business that there's that different attitude where people view others as threats. Because when you train everybody on your team two levels up, one thing is if we need someone to stand up, they can. That's, that's great. Something that's really important is if you're training a private soldier two ranks up to corporal, what that means is they know how the section commander is thinking and they can take that disciplined initiative because they know what the section commander is thinking, they know what comes next, they know what needs to be done. So it makes it a hell of a lot easier for the for the section commander when the pressure's on, when he's got a bunch of, or she, have a bunch of people, uh, you know, the team members that know exactly what needs to happen next and how, how to do it. Yeah, and they can help the section leader. Yeah, they just simply lead up. And if the section commander's attention is required elsewhere for whatever reason, then there's just natural progression within the boots on the ground that people will just step up and they will just take that slack and move forward with it because they know exactly what to do. Yeah, and I think with business, I've been there in the past where you're kind of, you just do a job and it's kind of boring and it's maybe demoralized might be a bit too big a word, but you're wanting more and you're feeling you're capable of more, but you're not getting more. And so... I love that idea of training people to two rungs up because people would stay far more engaged. And then I think another um, uh, worry we'll say that senior people have is that they'll move on, but you have to want your people to move on because you have to be training them up to be better versus wanting to keep them where they are. We hear that all the time. Why would I train my people up if they're just going to move to another organization or another company? And it's like, well, 
train them up or not. If you don't train them up, they're going to move on as well because they're not engaged, they don't feel valued, and they can't see a clear path forward for them in the company. So you're naturally going to lose people. People are going to leave. Good people are going to leave as well. But the more we prepare our boots on the ground team members, the better position we are moving forward in that sustainable, positive leadership role. Yeah, 100%. And like bringing it to a sports um a sports scenario like an assistant coach imagine like not training them up intentionally in case they leave <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then one day promoting them right and saying hey you've been promoted because you're great on the tools so we're going to throw you into the fire now and we may or may not give you training afterwards but when you step up into a leadership position that's precisely when you need those tools and those skills so it makes perfect sense to train people up before they step in rather than waiting for them to be promoted and then say, okay, here's your leadership development opportunities moving forward. They don't need them tomorrow. They needed them yesterday when they got promoted. Yeah. And another angle to it is you want to attract the best people always. And if you are just talking to someone else about this, but if you as a business are actively wanting to help your people grow, other people will want to work with you. So you're going to attract better people versus if it's a stagnant place that's fixed with no growth, you're not going to be attracting people there. Yeah, you might get people in the door to do a job because you give them money. But like you say, they're going to be disengaged and they'll just leave anyway. And it's just not going to be a good environment. And, you know, there's another side to this, too. I can't count how many times companies that have been putting their people through professional development programs when they initially employed them, they saw a, the, the, the decision maker saw a clear path for that person. That's why they hired them and they could say, hey, this person's going to be great down the track for this particular role. But when you put them on those leadership development programs, so many times the decision makers have seen, hey, you know, initially we thought Jane was going to be great here, but man, we've just dis discovered this superpower that she has where she'd be so much more suited over here and so much happier as well. So she benefits because it's more of a challenge and she's more happy with where she's going. And the business benefits because they've got somebody more competent than they thought they had that could take on that role. So it's just a win-win for everybody. Yeah, 100%. And what you're saying there, I suppose, is people looking. You, I think you said superpower, and that's yeah. Yeah, something that's used in sport as well. But yeah. like looking for the best in people and how you can get the best out of people but once again and i'm just speaking from my experience of say business or the corporate world but it seems to have been in the past for sure more so you do xyz tony this is your yeah. job description and you do that yeah until from nine till five yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah that's right it's, it's really interesting and it's something as simple as giving people an opportunity to grow increases their engagement increases retention within the organization because they're less likely to leave if they're happy and those high performers if you've got high performing team members and they're not getting challenged they're just doing the status quo every single day those high performers that you value so much are likely to leave because they're not getting the challenge that they need so yeah it was the military they really got that right training two levels up big time and then chat to me about Halo and how you kind of transitioned into that out of the army and uh, private side and into the work you're doing now. Well, it wasn't intentional, to be fair. I, I When I transitioned into the civilian workforce, 
I'd attend their induction training and it was compulsory. So obviously it's important because you have to do it. And I often describe it like this. You could imagine three rows of desks in a classroom and the front row are all engaged. The second row are looking under the table texting on their phones and the third row are looking out the window or half asleep because they knew it was a qualification by attendance and nothing else. And to be in the military, you've got to maintain your standards every single day. And if you drop those standards, you'll get a retest. And then you've got some pretty difficult questions to ask why you drop below the minimum required standard, which is high all the time. So I, I saw that the training, it, it just wasn't engaging. But there was another gap that I saw as well. I was talking to my wife about it. Well, it was actually her who identified it. Was there was no, no safe place for people to practice applying their new skills again in that safe to fail environment so it's like you'll attend training you might go to a typical classroom it might be death by a thousand powerpoint slides and then it's like okay now you're a master in this we've covered 27 subjects in four hours off you go and and nail it at work but it's not like that so we we went back to what the military does is they give you the tools then they give you an opportunity to practice applying those tools in a safe to fail environment and then we would look at okay where's the maximum value next in learning while well, it's in reflection and that was something that i didn't see a whole lot of uh, in the civilian workforce was that that guided reflection where you could take the best out of the theory and and what you learned in the practical application and convert that into personal insight that you could apply immediately in the workplace so that's why we set up halo we saw these gaps and we thought rather than complaining about it we're just going to do something so we set up halo from there so you help leaders within business or people within business uh develop their leadership and there's the theory and then creating a space where people can yeah practice that yeah and then reflection so we break it into four components the theory and the theory is really important we don't want to overwhelm people well if i go back another step we focus on one subject each workshop so one day so it's typically nine till two thirty in the afternoon we focus on just one subject because we want to be confident that those who attend can actively apply and confidently apply the tool that they learned with us immediately back in the workplace. The theory, we don't want to overwhelm people with heaps and heaps of information. We, the majority of our, our theory is mental models. It might be just three steps or four steps or an acronym, something really simple that's easy to recall under pressure. If we go back to that, that uh, time in Afghanistan that I realized that day, it doesn't matter how much experience you've got, it's my ability to draw what I need when I need it, and that's usually under pressure. So we keep the theory really, really simple. Then we go into the practical application where they can practice applying those tools under realistic conditions. So the theme might not necessarily be realistic, but the conditions that the theme generates is realistic. It could be anything from uncertainty, ambiguity, to complexity, just the, the usual pressures that come with any leadership role in any business. And then we go into the reflection phase where we teach people how to actually unpack the lessons learned in a psychologically safe environment. And we, because we, that's the most important part, it's unpacking everything that we've learned in a way that makes sense to me 
so that I can apply it when I go back to work. And then the final and the fourth and final step is our post-activity learning. So if a company comes to us for just one workshop, we'll give them uh, certain activities they can do to keep exercising those skills so that they don't fall to the wayside. But our bread and butter is a monthly ongoing workshop. So it's run from February till November each year, 10 workshops, one subject a month, but each workshop builds on the previous. So that means you've got basically the day to learn it, then you've got just over three and a half weeks to apply it at work and get comfortable with it, and then you learn the next tool, and we build it from there. And what would be some examples of kind of topics you'd work on? So leading through adversity is, is typically, if we start from a fresh year, uh, leading through adversity is one, how to prepare for adversity, how to navigate it in the moment, and then how to bounce back after the fact. Our, our priority in that, where we spend the most of our effort, however, is in preparing for adversity and navigating it in the moment. Um, strategic communication is another one. From a decision maker, from a senior leader level, how to clearly formulate and communicate our intent to our teams. And we teach that so that uh, it's a three-step tool. And what that does is it helps the senior leaders because we're all human, right? And it might make sense to us, but that doesn't mean that it makes sense to those on the receiving end. So we keep it in a really structured, simple three-step process where everybody knows they're going to receive that information a certain way every single time. So it's easier for them a, to retain the information because they receive it the same way every time, but also they know what's coming. So if one of those steps are missed or it's not clear, they can ask informed questions. Hey, I noticed you didn't go on, you know, might have been one of the key tasks here. Can you give me a bit more clarity? I wasn't quite clear on that. So we teach that planning and coordination, leadership and positive influence, developing trust-based relationships, that are the typical type Difficult Conversations is actually our next one coming up this month here in Christchurch. And what would uh, the communication one, they're all interesting, but that one especially like, uh, because I think it happens quite a lot, people, well, I told them that, you know, or that was on the PowerPoint. Yeah. Like you said, you know, it was line, line eight on the PowerPoint, slide number three. There's so much with communication. So again, from the senior leader, if we can't clearly articulate and communicate our intent, then we're going to have problems down the line with the boots on the ground that are actually performing the task. If the boots on the ground don't know how to receive that information, you know, we had a saying when I was in the intelligence community, maximum amount of information, little effort as possible. So we want to communicate the maximum amount of information, but for those receiving it, it should be as little effort as possible. We, they don't need to really work hard and try and decipher what we're saying. That's our job as the senior leaders. And you'd be surprised about how many senior leaders, you know, they know what they're doing because they've been doing it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. But that doesn't mean that they communicate it in an easy to understand format to the boots on the ground. It might seem common sense and logic to them because they've done it so many times. But again, it doesn't mean it's easily received or easily understood by those receiving it. Yeah, so chat to me, like what would be some 
some communication you could say to me now of i don't know something that's happened in your company over the last few months or in a workshop or like is it is it a case of just giving as few words as possible and like short statements that's a part of it a big part of it is just about having that structure in the first place if it's a three-step structure then i know what each step is going to represent it might be the reason we're getting the task how we're going to do the task and what good looks like in the end and you formulate it around the three key points and what that means is i'm listening for the reason we're doing the task the t uh, in the in the first place the key tasks that i need to achieve as a boots on the ground leader or team member and then what does good look like in the end and that's a really important one what does good look like in the end what does a, a successful finished product look like so if for me as a senior leader that helps me articulate what i need to communicate for those on the receiving end if i know that same tool then i know we're going to get the reason for the task we're going to be then given the key tasks that we need to achieve and then we're going to get the end state what good looks like in the end so i've got clarity of thought right from the start i'm listening and i know exactly what information is going to be delivered when so it makes it easier for me to receive it and it makes it easier for me to recall it but there's another benefit to that with the senior leadership you know we've we've got two communication workshops one of them is for senior leaders and one of them is for boots on the ground leaders and they're completely different tools one is the intent only the second one is the nuts and bolts of how so with these two of how that's going to be achieved so the 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 gold in this one is when a senior leader knows i'm only communicating my intent not the nuts and bolts of how it's got got to be done they know that they're not stepping over that line that's the line between leading and micromanaging micromanaging is when those senior leaders tell the boots on the ground every step of mm. what they need to be done but this tool forces you to only give your intent and the key tasks not the nuts and bolts of how to do it and when you communicate like that that empowers the boots on the ground leaders to come up with a plan that they they are more likely to engage and want the plan to succeed because the nuts and bolts of how to is their idea so you know when that's not happening when the boss says why didn't you do this and the workers say well you didn't tell us to do it that's when you know you've stepped over the line and they're no longer exercising initiative they're just doing what they're told and nothing more so you can see those two workshops there they go hand in hand and and even boots on the ground Johnny and Jane first week on the job should learn that strategic communication tool it's not just for the senior leaders everybody should know that three step tool because that's what guides everything we do the intent yeah that um three step tools class and even just last weekend I had a had a, a re, uh, had that come up in I was coaching and then at half time we were winning the game so easily and so I wanted to challenge the lads a little bit to yeah challenge them so that they can get better while in an easy game and so I said to them that there's no one allowed to carry off nine in the second half so you can't just catch the ball off nine and take contact you have to tip it on put it inside pull it out the back and I only had about 20 30 seconds we're in half time and, and just got that message across and then straight away one of the lads goes why 
and I you know quickly and he's like looking for the reason because I didn't give a re- within yeah. my short uh, there yeah. was a lot of head nodding but then one smart player intelligent yeah. player and I would have been that said why and then and then I said um, just explained as quickly as I could before the, they had to break to the ref like this game's won already I want us to get better at these areas I want to challenge and maybe give one other point but yeah. um, then he goes oh okay and then we had to chat up in the bar after and um you know we won the game by 50 points but uh, yeah it was interesting you say that and that three step I love that so the reason the how key task, the key yeah, tasks yeah, and what yeah, good, and looks, what good like. looks like and yeah. so when you're delivering a message you can just think in those ways as well because yeah once again just relating back to my point there mm. they're thinking it they're wondering yeah. the why yeah whether you give it or not yeah and if they if that's not satisfied then they're still gonna be wondering the why yeah, you know, if I, if yeah. he if he didn't ask the why, none of those players would have asked, and they would have gone out, and so half of them or some of them would have been thinking, why are we doing this? Yeah. So there's there's two whys in both of those levels of communication. So the first why is the reason we're doing the task in the first place. The second why is at a boots on the ground level, and the military. I don't recall exactly when it happened. I believe it was around Vietnam, and the story that I heard was that soldiers weren't engaging or showing as much initiative as the the commanders would have liked and they found three magic words so when they deliver their mission statement it was the task the what they had to do and then the purpose the, the why and it was followed by in order to so they'd always deliver the task in order to and that was the purpose so every time we heard in order to, we knew this is why what we're doing, or how what we're doing fits into the bigger picture. So when you've got the task and the purpose, rather than in the old days, just the task, go and take this hill yeah. <laughs> under heavy fire, but no why. Yeah. So when they give the in order to, we knew exactly why we were doing what we were doing. And it also allowed us to utilize our, our initiative on the ground when, when we're under the pump because we knew the reason for that task so yeah. yeah two different whys for two different levels of communication love it and another one what you mentioned there about the people you never told us to do it that way or yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah, thinking yeah. and it comes up it happens so much in sport with coaches that micromanage yeah. and the worst thing then what happens which is like soul destroying to be honest is players are thinking how does he want us to be or she how do they want us to do this yeah so they're out in the field they're not actually they're literally thinking about what someone else is Mm. thinking which in in wider life is a very bad way to be we should not be going around life thinking what is tony thinking right now what's he thinking what's she thinking we don't you you, that just gives you anxiety yeah yeah there's there's a lot in that actually and going back again why didn't you do that because you never told me to or no one told me to that's when there's a clear and present problem within and it's usually pointed at me the leader i I must be micromanaging because they're only doing what i say and nothing else now when you give that why behind it as well right that changes everything what i found as well is it's so much easier for you as a coach or leader to give up control you know like just allow people the space it it makes your job way easier trying to micromanage 30 people that's borderline impossible you know there's two types of micromanaging eh? there's 
the first one is those who are just uh, control freaks. They they need the power. Fortunately, they seem to be a minority. On the most part, a lot of people micromanage for all the right reasons because they just want to do a good job and they mean well. But the problem that comes with that, it has a really negative impact on those on the receiving end of that micromanagement. They won't exercise initiative. They are less likely to buy in or engage because all they've been doing, all that's happening is they've been talked at, and that's it. So when when you separate that means of communication, the key tasks from the senior leadership and let the boots on the ground team leaders figure out the nuts and bolts of how they're going to achieve those key tasks. That's when you get the buy-in. That's when you get that engagement. And that's when you get that initiative because it's their idea. They want it to succeed because it was their idea. And if it doesn't, it's mostly going to reflect back on them. So they want it to succeed. So it's really important. What we That was, again, one of the awesome lessons that we learned in the military yeah big time that's huge when someone has an idea how much they wanted to succeed yeah and, and even the use of language when you're communicating softening language people don't expect it we get stereotyped unfortunately because of hollywood and books that we're like these emotionalist robots that just follow orders blindly army that's, people yeah army yeah that's not how it is the first thing is for a long time now the military have been encouraged private soldiers have been encouraged to challenge or question orders if they're not ethical not moral they're unnecessarily putting people at risk or there's another way to do it that's better on resources and you can challenge the any rank any officer or nco on that based on those things the softening language people don't respond well to you need to I'm telling you, it doesn't It doesn't work. So something else that they do really well is the use of inclusive language. And it's like, this is where we're at and this is what we have to do, what we have to do, not what you need to do. And yeah, it makes all the difference about getting that buy-in and that engagement. And you see a lot of people roll their eyes, oh, that's all that fluffy crap. It's, it's really not fluffy. That stuff there actually gets results. And it means when you use things like inclusive uh, softening language, you're showing people that you care because you're taking the time to communicate in a way that gets the best out of them. So the communication, there's so many different aspects of why it's so important. But again, so many leaders, they get promoted based on their technical skills or their management skills, not their ability to actually lead people. Oh, 100%. And the biggest one I've seen that is in accounting firms. So friends of mine, I did commerce and then masters in business and stuff. So in, I was in that area and I know people who've gone into accounting mm. and that's literally the the how you get promoted is you be good at the level below yeah. and then you become a manager. And a few of the, the lads I know have said is like, you know, this person is a, is a good accountant at, at crunching numbers. And then yeah. they're leading a team of people. I heard a U.S. Army officer say once, if you can't clearly articulate what leadership is, then how do you know you're doing it? Yeah. And how many organizations have a clear definition of what leadership is? And it's not something like leading 
uh, I don't know, being in charge of other people. Yeah, it, it can't be general or broad. It's got to be really, really specific. And that was a, that was a bit of an aha moment for me. If you can't clearly articulate what leadership is, then how do you know you're doing it? And what he did, he asked a group of soldiers. So, what's leadership to you? What's leadership to you? And everyone had no one was wrong. They all had a slightly different answer. But the thing was that there was no consistency. Nobody knew what good looked like. No one knew what the leadership standard looked like because everyone had a different idea on what leadership was. So when you've got that clear definition, and and that's what the the U.S. Army, they brought in the process of influencing others by providing purpose, direction, and motivation to accomplish the mission and improve the organisation. And on the surface, that sounds great. And memorising it, is something all leaders had to do. They had to memorise it. I challenge that and go further, that everyone in the organisation should know the definition. But if we look at that definition specifically, the process of influencing others, the process suggests that it's ongoing. It doesn't just start and finish at nine till five. And understanding that influence can be positive and ethical or negative and unethical is extremely important because you see that all the time. People, they don't exercise that self-awareness and they're not sure of what sort of impact they're having on other people. So understanding that the influence should be positive and ethical by providing purpose, direction and motivation. It's laid out right there in front of us to accomplish the mission, but not to get what we call target fixation where we're so focused on the mission that we forget to improve the organisation along the way. And then they teach where does that improve the organization begin or with each and every one of us we look in before we look out yeah and another one just when you're talking there thinking about it is uh, in sport a time where that doesn't happen is like premier league soccer is a big one you know accomplish the mission qualify for the top four or avoid relegation yeah and so you or what happens then is they you know sack managers or buy in players that'll get them a quick result which might accomplish a mission but then you see it in a lot of sports organizations where the organization as a whole is just all over the place because they're they're going mission to mission yeah it's it's a bit disappointing when you when you look at it like that it's just about what's it's a bit transactional right you need to deliver at 100 percent this standard every single time and if you have a a run of bad luck then it's over for you we'll find somebody else who can and it seems very transactional doesn't it yeah i think um when we talk about improving the organization and even as whether you're looking for leaders it all starts before the military teach before you can lead others you first have to learn to lead yourself and that self-awareness is about being aware of our own emotions and how the things we say and the things we do impact others. And again, that impact can be negative or it can be positive. But it's having that self-awareness is really important. It's so easy, especially from a leadership perspective, to judge everybody else and to point out where they're falling short. We, you know, As leaders, we hold our team to account all the time, but who holds us to account? Before we look outwards, we should first look inwards at ourselves, right? And, you know, am I up to scratch here? Am, am I towing the line? Am I up to standard before we start pointing the, the finger at other people? Yeah, big time. And great leaders always do that. And uh, I'm reading a book now at the moment, Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. And like he would 
walk the floors and put clothes back on the shelves yeah. and etc etc and then the best leaders in sport by and large are the ones who are, are putting in the graft like you can see it yeah. and and it's it's said in so many ways i, I think as epictetus a quote don't talk about your philosophy embody it yeah and it's i remember hearing that and, and understand this about five seven years like a, maybe even longer like a quite a while ago and because I was thinking like leadership, you know, if I was captain of a team, maybe it was 10, 12 years ago, I was thinking about it. You know, you're made captain of a team. What is this? Like, what do I say? What do I yeah. do before yeah. the game? What do I do at half time? And you're kind of like stressing about that. But then when you strip all that away and you look at great leaders like Ireland, Roy Keane, or there's these other, there's other one, Richard McCaws, another yeah. similar Roy Keane-esque, or just that they do the work. Yeah. There's so much to, to leadership and it's... Um, sometimes i get pretty disappointed with the attitudes that you might come across right where oh, that's a nice to have not a need to have yeah, so, yeah. well without leadership good positive ethical leadership that's going to have an absolute negative impact on your on your business it is not a nice to have it's an absolute need to have but it's not just that it's for sport as well right i I've, i remember being a young fellow playing sport uh, just out of high school and the coach was pretty much do as I say don't argue with me you will and there was nothing good that came from that it didn't really make you feel like you you were valued or that you belonged right yeah and you mentioned some of those other topics there another one was it difficult conversations yeah. Yeah. so what what how does that work or what does that look like well, I think what I'll, I'll just stick to the same example that that, am, that ambush that we got tipped off that we were driving into and just to kind of clarify I, I'm aware we chat about the last time but an ambush like what you're saying there is like yeah. you're out on the ground in Afghanistan yeah. and you get a, a tip through your microphone or yeah. through your earpiece yeah. or whatever that there is a group of 40 Taliban 300 metres away yeah. in a hills yeah. beh- hidden behind stuff and they're coming and ambush means they're coming to sh- open fire on you yeah so that's a difficult conversation on its own right? when you're communicating with your team because there's emotions involved and that's, that's the enemy of conversation is when those emotions hijack us. So what, because when we developed the difficult conversations tools, it was based on that. It was when those emotions come, we had actual tools to put in place to help regulate those emotions so that we could form sound judgment, make better decisions and improve the likelihood of a better outcome. And that's what difficult conversations is all about. It's helping people remove the emotions and give them a a very simple, easy to recall process that can stop them from getting dragged down into the negativity, but also read their own level of emotion as well as the person or people they're interacting with. Because we use a simple color code and it just I know when I say if I'm yellow is where we want to be at and if we're at orange from yellow to orange things are escalating and it's just a simple flash of a color that hey i need to i need to de-escalate this right now that's a part of it not all of it but those tools that we used overseas were designed to take as much emotion out as possible and providing a clear path forward that is easy to recall under pressure so sometimes you see online there might be a a guide on how to have a difficult conversation that might have 54 points to it you know mm. like how am i going to recall that in the heat of the moment because there's two general types of difficult conversations there's the one we that has been planned and i'm either giving it or receiving it or 
there's one that just happens out of the blue and again i'm either giving it or receiving it but those difficult conversations what we want to achieve in the end is a positive outcome and if we let our emotions hijack us and get the better of us then the likelihood of that positive outcome is just going to deteriorate as the conversation goes on so we really help people have tools to regulate their emotions how to remain focused so that they can stay on track not get dragged into the he said she said or the negativity of the moment but also have that self-awareness of my own emotions and the awareness of the person i'm communicating with and then focusing on on well i guess what good looks like in the end yeah and what would be some tools to help people regulate their emotions or not get caught up um in the emotions there's two things that come to mind one is breathing techniques but the other thing is we had a saying in the military train hard fight easy and what that means is taking responsibility for for the role that we have to fulfill so as a as a leader that's a skill that's a that's a responsibility of mine to have potentially have these difficult conversations whether i'm giving one or on the receiving end of one so it's doing the work it's learning the tools so you've got that process that that simple uh three-step process to guide your thoughts attention actions in the right place at the right time but the thing is it's got to be repetitive training and it's the reason for that is if i can't recall it easily in calm you know in the comfort of the office when everything's going Mm. fine then i'm i'm not going to be able to recall those tools when i need them when i'm under pressure so that's that saying train hard fight easy it's about doing the work and learning those tools and making sure that i maintain those tools so it's all about that our approach to to developing ourself that committed approach to uh to growing our our you know the military say uh in pursuit of excellence now it's a journey that we never we all know that we never get to the end of it but it's something that we all work towards for our entire career and i think you talk about the tool for helping us through those difficult conversations is breathing techniques are really helpful but also finding those tools and there's lots of different tools out there but finding a tool that works and then learning it so that you can recall it under pressure not just read it once or twice and think oh yeah that's helpful and then put it in the bottom drawer because that's of no use when you need it yeah so it'd be like so say in business there'd be times where they a leader might have to tell someone they're not doing something well or you know like those kind of conversations that are a bit difficult or you know obviously firing someone is is the ultimate difficult one then in sport there's every week you're not picking players and so all those are just what we're talking about here difficult conversations and the breathing techniques i get in box breathing is something military i've heard of like four seconds in hold for four seconds out for four seconds seconds, hold for four seconds Yeah. yeah And there's other different ones like, you know, in for seven, out for seven. and yeah. there's, there's also in for four, out for eight. Yeah, the, the, ex, the prolonged exhale yeah. helps the relaxation. Yeah. And then the tools of, of, giving it, of giving the difficult news. So I think you could probably go back a step and it's how you frame it right from the start. Some people look at it like, I'm going to tell this person how it is or I'm just going to hold them account for what they've done but there's often little attention to hey here's what i need to communicate and here's how it's probably going to be received 
And when you look at it with a bit of empathy, how's this going to be received? Because again, what we want is a positive outcome. I'm, I feel pretty confident that at the very least, 99% of people don't want to make people feel like crap and mm. don't want to unnecessarily demoralize people. So it's about not rushing into these conversations. It's what's the point that we need to discuss? What does a good end state look like? And how's this going to be received by the person I'm about to communicate with? And then, unfortunately, we can't control how other people react to the difficult conversation. The only thing we can control is how we respond ourselves. So it's about not getting drawn into it, into the negativity, being empathetic, not sympathetic, being empathetic, mm. and and just being mindful of how it's been received. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Um, the point you made there of kind of put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Always, always before you're given or having conversations like that, just, yeah, take yourself out of your own. That We all are often get sucked into ourselves and think, oh, I've got this difficult thing to do. I've got, if you're firing someone, if you're dropping mm. someone, it's, it's actually probably far more difficult for them <laughs> than it is for you. And, you know, a part of being a leader is about, it's, an, it's a requirement as being a leader, is creating positive environments. And if we're just going to tell people all the crap things they've done, and not put ourselves in their shoes and not follow up with them after that, then we're not actually leading. We're not creating those positive environments. And again, people can roll their eyes at positive environments, right? Like, oh, that's just that fluffy stuff. You know, I've got the bottom line to think about. It's about people first. That bottom line means nothing without people. And if we don't create positive conditions, positive environments, then your bottom line is gonna suffer more than it is what you think right now about that one person. It's yeah. all about people and it's about, you know, it doesn't take much to follow up with people either following a difficult conversation. Hey, how's everything going? You want to repair that relationship as poss- as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah, big time. I could imagine what it would feel like, say, on the rugby field if you're not selected for the team. It's like, Brian, no, then on to somebody else. Like, yeah. That's not the right way to deliver that message. There's other ways to do it. We go, we go through that same process in the military. If you're getting selected for certain certain um, teams or or capabilities, not everybody's going to make it through. And it doesn't mean you have to be a dick about it. In fact, at Halo, that's our saying, the one golden rule, don't be a dick as a leader. Just mm. don't be a dick. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the creating positive environments is, is massive. Yeah, it's massive. Like, and it's kind of tying back to what we were saying earlier about um, workplaces or sports teams or whatever. It's you want people to want to be there. Yeah, that's right. It's the people that get the job done at the end of the day. So you can treat them one of two ways: you can treat them well, or you can treat them terribly. And if you don't treat them well, then you're not going to achieve your mission. Yeah, and you're not going to have a good organization because they'll be gone, and then yeah. they'll tell the other people about their experiences there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And man, nothing spreads quicker than the word of mouth, right? Yeah, big time. Well, hey, Tony, thanks for Mel. Um, been unreal chatting. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Cheers for listening in today. I hope today's podcast helped you on your journey. Be sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's episodes and all the important links. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to be an absolute legend, please share it with a friend on social media or by text. 
and let me know what you enjoyed about the episode over on our social media channels at Brian Moylet. I really love hearing your feedback and it helps us make the pod better. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts, you can leave up to a five-star review. If you're in sports or business and you want to get better results, you feel like you're capable of more, you want to be happier, more fulfilled, more successful in what you are doing, head over to my website now, offfieldrugby.com, and we'll set up a time to have a chat for free. You can get my new book now on Amazon and Audible, and the links are in the show notes. Thanks, Emil, for clicking in today. Have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.